You are listening to another episode of KeepTheChange.co.nz's Money Mail, and we are fair ripping through them. We are up to episode number 148. I had a little look at the podcast statistics this morning, and I was surprised to see that there's over 300 episodes. We've got new people tuning in. We've got new people following on Instagram. There is a snowball of momentum at the moment, which is really cool to see. I hope you are learning lots in these challenging times. Welcome if you are new around here. We've been into this for a good couple of years, nearly three now. So if you go back and listen to some of the older content, you're going to be learning things that you probably hope or wish that you knew now because we're now living in the environment that we were predicting would come. Part of these lessons is to get us thinking about what could happen in the next six months, 12 months, and even the next 20 years. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, potentially some changes later on down the track in this country. But if you haven't already, please, could you leave a five-star review on Spotify? This is the most rated podcast in New Zealand. What the fuck's up now? That is good going. We've gone past 650 reviews on Spotify, which I can't find a New Zealand podcast with more than that. If there is, send it in, and I'll better stop saying that we are the most rated podcast in New Zealand, or we'll just have to start getting more people to smack that five star so that we can get ahead of them. But from what I understand, we're number one, which is good to see, and you can help get us to a thousand reviews by leaving a five star review. She's busy around here at the moment. In my accounting role, I'm getting ready for the end of the financial year. From the 1st of April, things get pretty, wow, probably from the 1st of May, really, things really kick off because people want their accounts done. So we're getting that process nice and ready. It's a good time for all of us to be thinking about our finances as well. On the Keep the Change front, I did two podcast episodes this week out of the Attention Seeker studio with Rupert Carline from Kuda Wealth and KiwiSaver. Those will be out soon. You'll be able to learn about their story, a little bit from their story, how they differ from other KiwiSaver providers, what they're trying to do, how they let people invest in crypto in their KiwiSaver crook and secondly the future of KiwiSaver as well which is a really cool episode where we chat about some of the things we'll be discussing today too Uh, and then Mike and I are sitting down on Sunday and we're recording two three four and we're actually getting some of it filmed and we're going to get some clips pulled out of that as well someone's been listening jumped in the DMs made me a few videos added value up front I got intrigued jumped on the phone said, why don't you come in for a session? How much is that going to charge? They said, X, Y, Z, said, let's rumble. Mikey's like, I'll pay. Uh, So shout out to Mikey. And they're going to come in on their Sunday and record these things. I'm starting to work on school for Keep the Change, S-K-O-O-L. Keep the Change school where we can all come together. There'll be some bite-sized lessons you can work through around budgeting, around making more money, uh, and around an emergency fund. So some of the real basics to get in place to really get people started. You'll be able to interact with other people in the Keep the Change community. You'll be able to check the Keep the Change calendar to see what's on. If we schedule a live webinar, for instance, you'll be able to find the webinar link in that calendar and you can DM different people. So don't do anything silly in there, you know what I'm saying? But it's going to be a great thing to see grow over time, and I think it will take some time, but it'll be cool to be able to bring the people together that are really engaged in their learning and want to be a part of this journey as we go for longer and longer, because ultimately the goal is to have 100,000 people improving their financial literacy in this country, because then I believe we could have a better economy and a better country and a lot healthier people. And speaking of, this week there was some research released that basically said people spend 13 hours of their is it a week? 
or was it a month? Let me find that. 13 hours of, time, of work time a month worrying about money, the research finds. Far out. This is what I was talking about in the five signs you're broke Instagram reel that I made. The last one was you're stressing about money and you go to work and you're thinking about this. And that means you're not as productive as you could be because your brain isn't on the task. This is where this problem becomes a problem for employers and why I predicted the next wave of, hey, employers, could you solve this, would be financial well-being. We had physical, then we went mental, and now we're going to go financial. So watch this space. This area is going to blow the fuck up over the next two years. And the people that can provide services and support in that area are going to win. That is why six months ago, 12 months ago, I started building relationships with the people that do work in this space because I knew this is what was coming. And I can see that this is going to get pushed onto the employer. And if you're an employer out there, your employees are going to be looking at you going, how can you help me? Because they've been taught that they should care about, your employer should care about your physical health. You should look after my mental health. And now I want you to look after my financial health. Now, I don't necessarily 100% agree with that because I don't think you should ever leave your learning, education, and destiny in the hands of other people, especially not your employer. You want to take ownership and make sure that you've got that shit under control, not wait for your employer to solve it for you. But if your employer comes to the table, to the party, and they want to help with that, you've got to grab that, and that's fucking awesome for them to do that. But that should not be your expectation that that is where your learning came from. Because remember, everybody says... They should teach this stuff in schools, but they don't. Now it's going to become, they should, your employer should teach all this stuff from day one, but they won't because a lot of employers won't even know how to do it. We're a nation of small businesses. We're not a nation of small businesses with financial backgrounds and degrees and financial planning degrees and accounting degrees and economics. We're a nation of very easy to start a business in an area that you like and then just figure it out as you go. And that normally means hiring people. It doesn't mean that these employers and entrepreneurs and business people are going to be able to sit down and solve your financial problems for you. So do not delegate those outward. Look in the mirror and go, me and you baby, that's who's going to sort my shit out first and foremost. If other people are willing to help, then that's going to be brilliant. But know that most people that you're working with at the moment are spending 13 hours a month not working whilst at work because they're thinking about their finances. You shouldn't be part of this 13 hours. You should have been doing the work to start tidying some of this stuff up so that we can bring this number back down. We don't want to be in these statistics. We want to help work against these statistics. And this is what all this content is about. Before I talk about a whole heap of shit that I never even planned on talking about, let's get into this week's money mail because I'm sure some of the younger people are going to love it. Some of the older people are going to hate it. And other people are going to have very mixed opinions on it. I've said, is it time for 65-year-olds plus to donate their super? How dare you, Luke? I've worked my whole life to qualify for that. Give me my super. Well, what is superannuation? It's a benefit paid to those over 65. Weekly, it is around $538 before tax or $463 after tax for a single person living on their own. To qualify for this, you basically just have to turn 65 and it turns on. There are some residency and timing New Zealand rules, but it is income, it's not, sorry, it's not income or means tested at present. So basically, you turn 65, you do your application for it, and you should get it. You have to have been in New Zealand, there's some residency requirements and timing New Zealand, those sorts of little things, but basically, it's a universal type setup where, where everybody gets it, and there shouldn't be a reason why you don't. 
Now, you can still be working as well and get superannuation too. It is taxable income, so you are taxed on it. So basically that means that say someone who's over 65 who gets superannuation and works and they get paid above $70,000, they'd be paying tax of 30% on their uh, superannuation. So they would lose effectively, oh, sorry, 33%, yeah. So they'd lose a third of that because it is taxed, it's taxable income. So some of it ends up going back to the government. Even if they don't work, they're getting taxed on it. They'll go through the marginal tax rates, which you've learned about, 10.5%. And then seventeen and a half, then thirty, then thirty-three. If they, you know, if they are continuing to work as well, but if they just purely get that, they would be ten point five percent for the first fourteen thousand. Then the seventeen and a half would kick in for the rest of their pension, and I don't think they would make it into the forty-eight thousand dollar tax bracket, which would bring with it thirty percent interest rates. Now you might be surprised to know that the superannuation benefit costs New Zealand taxpayers over seventeen billion dollars per year. This number is growing year on year as the population ages and people are living longer. In 2020, it was reported that over 30,000 Kiwis getting paid superannuation were earning more than $100,000 per year. Now, I'm sure we could all agree that people are living longer, we're finding ways to be able to do that, and we're avoiding this conversation of, is this 65 really the age that we should be turning this on? And this is something I talk about with Rupert in the podcast that I do with Rupert from Kuta Well. So check that out. We talk about the future of KiwiSaver and we sort of talk about this this piece here too because if you've, for instance, worked in a hard factory type role or physical role, unlike old keyboard hands over here, you know, you are running the risk that your body is going to wear down and you're probably working towards that 65. Whereas if you're working with your mind, you know, we still face problems, but you, your body may be uh, possible to continue on further. You know, we're all sort of built differently and have different genes and all that sort of stuff, right? But this blanket sort of 65 will give everyone cash. It's been around for a long time and it's a scary thing to kind of address and go, is this still relevant? But anyway, in 2020, it was reported that over 30,000 Kiwis getting paid superannuation were earning more than $100,000 per year. With a number of recent weather events, the realisation that we as a nation have to spend a lot of money on infrastructure in this country is becoming clearer and more accepted. So who's going to pay for this? No one ever wants to grab the bill, right? We've talked about that a number of times in these pods. This is why so many people are allergic to the idea of any form of capital gains tax. We need to remind ourselves that the government don't have any money. They use debt or the money of the people, taxes. Now debt is just borrowing from the future taxpayer. Ultimately, we all end up paying the bill. Now if we look at superannuation alone, that's $17 billion per year that could be spent on infrastructure. How dare you, Luke? You can't seriously be suggesting that. I hear the older readers cry. Of course not. That couldn't work. Treasury figures show that for uh, that for 40% of people aged 65 and over, the benefit, superannuation, is their only source of income. So for 40% of people aged over 65, they get super, and that's the only form of income they have. Well then, who should pay? Which generation? Every generation will have a bias as to why it shouldn't be them. There is even chat of a new flood tax to help raise taxes to commit to the rebuild so you know deep down it's coming. Someone is going to pay. We all pay in different ways, directly or indirectly. Now back to our superannuitants, and for some of them, they simply don't slash won't need the money, but they are entitled to it. If it's not needed, perhaps it could be sent back. Sent back and committed to an area of the economy that they care about, like infrastructure or healthcare. I kind of like this concept of, could we create a way where you choose 
where your taxes go, an area that you really care about and see. And we, Rupert and I spoke about this with, this is what we anticipate, and I didn't write about this in this email, but I wrote it when I was writing this, I thought, oh, if I go down that path, we're going to go too long. So basically, I do believe that KiwiSaver will end up being the funds that are used to bankroll a whole heap of the infrastructure, healthcare resets, and all these different things that will need to be sorted out because it'll take so fucking long for us to all agree to actually do it, and then we'll probably just find a way to use people's KiwiSaver money. But wouldn't it be great if we had a mechanism at a national level where those people could choose where they want to direct their superannuation? So let's think this through. If 50% of superannuitants forgo their super for just one year, that's over $8 billion to redirect to rebuilding an area of the nation or investing in much-needed infrastructure. No, remember, super is taxed, so some of it goes back to the government coffers already. Now, we're all in this together, aren't we? So why can't we ask these 65-pluses to stop taking their super and kick in a little bit? Maybe it's your time. Donate it back. Why don't you look after the Hawks Bay? 50% of you, if you just forgo your super for a year and say, we want that to kick off to the Hawks Bay, we can help them rebuild. Aren't we all in this together? Haven't you had years and years and years of low interest rates, of house prices going up, of low inflation? You've had a pretty good run for a lot of those over 65s. Maybe it's their turn to kick in and pay a bit more. Of course, if you're over 65, you'd be like, like fuck Luke, why should I? Why should I be the one that has to? But this is the conversation that we're going to increasingly have because every generation or age group or income band or wealth level is going to be like, why? Why do I need to do this when I've worked to achieve this or I've just played by the rules, the rules are the rules, why all of a sudden are the rules going to change? But you might already be surprised, you might also be surprised to know that there is actually an organisation that helps facilitate this for superannuitants already. Their main focus is helping New Zealand kids in poverty. Now I learned about this because I was watching Seven Sharp, judge me all you will, that I may be a boomer in a young person's body watching Seven Sharp, but accordingly to them, 400 and something thousand people tune in every night. I saw this company, sharemysuper.org.nz, advertising on Seven Sharp, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I went and researched it. So basically, they target people who don't need their super but get it, and they allow them to donate it to uh, children in poverty, basically, and help to try and solve some, some things in that space. So you can check that out, sharemysuper.org.nz if you want to look that up. Now this is obviously a very complex topic, but the above organisation, which is funded privately, it does seem, doesn't seem like they'd take any fees, uh, shows you that people are thinking about this and finding ways to redistribute funds they know they are entitled to but don't need. Perhaps some of these people donate personally too. So of course remember that a lot of people that have a lot do actually donate, but we get taught oh, you know, fucking tax the rich, and they're all assholes, they're greedy, and well, they, they should pay, you know, like, who do they think they are, and all that sort of bullshit, right? But a lot of them do contribute. And I hadn't heard it explained like this, but I actually heard it this week, that you want people giving because your taxes stay lower. Because what that means is that people are trying to solve a problem in an area, and they're relying on donors. So they're going out there trying to collect that to then solve the problem. And that keeps it away from the government having to try and solve it. However, I always remember one of my good mates, who we love talking about the economy, he said, an economy that continues to increase the number of charities it has is a good sign of economy that's actually failing because it's not solving the problems that it needs to be. So people are having to step into that space and try and solve it. 
But it's becoming very fashionable to have a social enterprise and all these sexy terms that we put around it and we're kind of being taught that, yeah, that's a great thing to do. And I had someone ring me just before recording this pod about providing vegetables at a cheaper rate and sacrificing profits, but they're not actually doing it yet. They're just spitballing the idea. Interestingly, this person's been taking government support in order to kick this idea around and try and get it going, but this is the idea that they want to do. So they're actually being funded at the moment by the taxpayer to get this going, which I don't even know that that funding existed, but apparently it does. And they're thinking that that would be a great thing for them to focus their life on. And that's all good and well, but then you have another set of people that are like, yeah, but we shouldn't have got there in the first place. And this is what I didn't put into this email, but I thought was very interesting. When I was growing up and younger, I can distinctly remember a lot of TV adverts about sponsor a child and they were children that were not in New Zealand now I'm like do we need to fucking sponsor a child in New Zealand it sort of feels like it we got lunches and shit that we're giving them at school we've got uh, rain jackets and devices and stuff that we're trying to get them because families can't provide for them and I don't really recall these ads from World Vision anymore I remember as a dollar a day you could sponsor a child and actually I so I googled it World Vision sponsor a child and of course it's still going Maybe they're just not advertising on TV anymore. But check this inflation out. It ain't a dollar a day anymore. It's $54 a month, I think. So it's nearly doubled from what it used to be when I remember their marketing so heavily on the old screen. But we've almost got to a point in this nation where we need to sponsor our own fucking children. And we need to put up a list of people that may need some help and go, hey, can somebody help this children, this this child? And by donating this, you'll be helping them to do this. But... It's just interesting that we've, uh, we're getting to that and we are trying to solve these problems. And I spoke about this a long time ago on a money bail about how we try to solve these problems, but they don't seem to be getting any better. And so then we get to blame the, oh, yeah, it's the system or whatever, systemic failure of all this stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. So then that means we can just oh, pull back and not actually do anything. I like to think, well, what, what can we individually do to try and plug a gap or add to something that we truly care about. And hence why I'm sitting here on a Friday recording this money mail because I'm trying to educate people to think differently and have more and do better and make better decisions to try and plug a little bit of that financial literacy gap. So that's how I'm trying to do it, plus a number of other things that I do personally as well. But it's very interesting um, where we're, we're sort of headed. And I wonder if that, would we be too proud to actually launch a New Zealand version of a dollar a day, you can sponsor this child. But there's also great systems where you can buddy up with younger people who are least fortunate in their upbringing. You can teach them different things and take them and do things and stuff. So there are organisations filling these gaps. But as my mate who loves economics taught me, remember that as we do more of these things, it's a, it's a sign that the overall government who we give our money to aren't actually solving these problems. So other people are having to step in and try and stop it. So it's very, very insightful. And I don't know enough about politics and the different way that you can run countries and stuff to know. I don't think there's a right or wrong because everybody does things differently, right? But it's fascinating to observe the way that things are going. Now, for many of you younger readers, you're coming to terms at the moment with the fact that we're in a time of higher inflation, higher interest rates, higher taxes to help fund the country, higher levels of understanding. We've underinvested over previous decades, so i.e. infrastructure and stuff like that, we're like, shit, you know what, You know, we probably should have been spending a bit more on that, but we didn't. Uh, higher acceptance that perhaps a land tax or capital gains tax was needed. So many 
of my friends, like I've only got four of them, but three of them reckon that, yeah, we should have a capital gains tax. We should have a land tax. I'm amazed the amount of accountants that I speak to and they say, yeah, we probably should have introduced a capital gains tax. I can't believe we're fucking around and not actually putting something in. Yep, you know, it, it might not be perfect to start with, but hopefully, I guess the downside is that the way that we've been seeing money being spent over the last few decades and stuff, when it's not going into things that we think it should be, you're probably reluctant to agree that there should be a, a capital gains tax because what's going to happen with that? You know, you want a real clear plan of what it's actually going to be spent on because just about guarantee we have it. Ten years later, I'm sitting here recording a podcast. Podcast probably won't even be a thing by then. My AI robot will be recording a podcast for me, just pulling thoughts out of my brain and spitting it out to you on your device, which will already be embedded in your head. Um, and you'll be listening to Luke going, fuck, I don't want to hear this anymore, mate. Turn that off. You'll be telling your AI robot to turn it off. But Luke in 10 years will probably still be like, how are these problems getting worse? How have we not fixed them? But I'd love to see some of these problems get fixed. And hopefully... Uh, we do start to close the gap on some of these things. But, you know, I feel like younger people are a bit more accepting of, you. Yeah, what, what's the go here? Why don't we have some form of land tax, capital gains tax, a wealth tax, a means testing of super, like all these different things. But uh, that is probably because we're having climate change bombarded down our throats and our eyeballs as well, right? So then as we get that story told to us, we're more likely to then accept, well, shit, we probably need some sort of climate tax as well because how the fuck else are we going to solve that? And that's a very, very tricky subject on its own, right? But that looks like it's going to require more money. Well, remember, the government don't have any money. So younger people, I'd imagine, are probably coming to accept that, hey, we probably need some form of climate tax too. What's that actually going to look like? So how did we let this happen? Well, who knows? It's quite clear that we have used debt to create better lifestyles instead of better infrastructure. Now this is my favourite line from this whole email, if I don't say so myself. It's quite clear we have used debt to create better lifestyles instead of better infrastructure. Now what that means is that we're likely to use debt to use it short term to get cool as shit, to have flash of stuff, to satisfy our desires, rather than go, you know what, I might borrow to invest into infrastructure that I'm going to need in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, etc. And I see this with business owners, I see it with individuals, we see it with buy now, pay later and stuff, where we're being tricked into thinking that's good debt to have, but it's just encouraging consumerism. We look at ourselves in the mirror and go, I'm paying buy now, pay later $200 a month, am I investing $200 a month? Hmm, no. But can you take out debt to invest? You can't, but you can use debt to buy dumb shit, can't you? And shit that you don't need. So we're in a very interesting time where I think as debt becomes more expensive, people are starting to think more about, oh, what's going on here? Uh, How is this going to work longer term? Now, as we know, as always, the debt collector knocks on the door eventually. Someone is going to pay, and most people are going to point the finger at another group and say, them, it's them who should pay. It's the wealthy. It's the 100,000 Kiwis who earn over $100,000 getting super. They should pay. It's the rich. It is the people who have property with land. You know, it's going to be somebody other than yourself probably because as humans, we're going to default to self-interest of, hmm, should I really have to pay? Now, there's no point in blaming each other generations, but we need to get on the same page about where we are going, what we want to have, and collectively work out how to fund it. 
if only it were that simple, right? So individually, we can contribute and make our own choices. So think about the impact of this over a lifetime. There might be one thing that you care about. I've got a client who helps one student go through school every year, funds the whole thing. Amazing. Clients who donate a portion of money to their church. Some people would disagree with that. That's their thing. My goal. I'm not here to judge you. Do your thing. Uh, another client who donates money to Christians Against Poverty. They believe in funding that organization to help achieve the benefit of bringing some people out of their debt and learning and educating them. And they can't do it individually, but they're happy to donate money to that. So we can all individually give in some way, shape, or form, right? And I was listening to a podcast. Fuck, you're going to laugh at this. I was listening to a podcast with a Jewish rabbi. And I apologize to any Jewish people if I've said that wrong. Someone said, what, who, what is that? And I'm like, I, I don't even know. But he, that's how he introduced himself at the start. And he had this brilliant principle in there about how there was someone in their community that said, all of us as employers should pay an additional amount each week to our staff and say, this is for you to donate. You have to donate this to teach people about giving. And imagine if we did that at scale or said, look, the first 2% of your pay has to be donated to something to teach people about giving. But that's, I guess, a little bit how Christianity works, right? Because I think the tithing principle is 10% of your income straight to the church. Now, some of you wouldn't agree with that and would have, uh, you know, an objection towards that, whereas for people of that faith, they're probably just like, that. that is what it is. But we don't seem to teach people about giving, right? It's a bit of a, uh, nah, like it's someone else. They should be doing it. Yeah, they should be doing that. But they've got their own shit going on too. So just remember, individually, we can contribute. It might be volunteering. It might be just fucking smiling at someone. It might be offering to uh, open the door for someone. Just think about how you can give, and eventually it comes back to you. And I feel like we've decreased the amount of teaching in that, and we're more looking at how can I get things faster because I'm entitled to it and I deserve it. Now, recently, we've also seen an action group call for over $2 billion of debt owed to the Ministry of Social Development to be wiped. Next, it'll be student loan debt. That conversation's kind of starting. In America, they're hard on it. It's huge. Imagine if someone receiving superannuation could donate their annual super to clear someone else's debt hanging over their head. And this is what got me thinking about that sponsor a child type thing. Because for those with debt cleared, They'd need to know their debt has been sponsored by another Kiwi. We need to get back to understanding that if someone receives, someone gives. If someone receives a parcel of food and uh, goods on their doorstep and it's been donated, someone's given that and someone's wrapped that parcel up. We don't seem to teach that part, that when you receive, someone is giving. And when we see action groups saying, well, let's just wipe $2 billion of debt, that debt has to be cleared from someone. It's got to be given by someone. And that's either the taxpayer, the future taxpayer, or the current taxpayer foregoing what could be done with that $2 billion. So although that would be an amazing thing to just be able to click the fingers and do, where does that draw the line? Do then the students go, well, hey, I want my debt removed. Or do the business owners go, hey, I borrowed during COVID. You need to wipe that. Why do I need to be paying that anymore? 
you know, you guys forced us into lockdowns and so I had to borrow, so wipe that. Everybody is out there campaigning for the thing that they think is really going to change the country and the nation. That thing is staring at you in the mirror every day being like, it's, it's me and you. We're the ones that can make change here. So start there. But will we see some of these debt reductions and whatnot from the Ministry of Social Development, that side, I'm pretty sure the government already said, hey, look, you know, probably not. But in my, did you know, it's one in 10 Kiwis owe money to the Ministry of Social Development. The average is $3,500. This has been used for the likes of school uniforms, emergency and medical care. So basically, they can't afford to pay those things. They borrow from the Ministry of Social Development, which is a taxpayer agency. So that's taxes that could be used for other things. And they donate it so that they can have those things. And then they have to pay for it out of their benefit or whatnot. Now, that's pretty scary to think that one in 10 Kiwis are in that position, right? And the average is three and a half K. This is a vicious cycle because let's say they borrow for a car, for instance, rather than from a car dealer that's charging the 25% or something. The, the car's probably so that the person can get to work or that the kids can get to... Uh, I don't even know if you can borrow for a car from the Ministry of Social Development, but this is as an example. If they, you know, if they're going to the doctor or got a school uniform, they're more likely to go to school, right? So then we decrease the risk that they're then truant and not going to school. So you can see how this is a vicious cycle of do you do you not lend them the money? Do you? Do you? Don't you? But we've got an action group saying, well, let's just wipe the two billy. Be amazing too, but who wants to pay for that two billy? Does the action group? Like, why don't they just fundraise $2 billion? Why do they want it wiped? Why don't they just go and, if they're so clear on being an action group, why don't they just go raise $2 billion themselves and then clear all the debt? Is that a better solution? Fuck no. You know, of course they're going to, no, that's too hard. So these things are very, very, very complicated. And we're all going to have our biases of what should happen. But I think we need to get back to the point of remembering that we shouldn't be saying the government the government should pay. That why don't they just pay? Because they don't have any money. It's your money as a taxpayer or it's the future generations. You are one of over seven thousand recipients. Do you know someone you could share this with? Please put this on your Instagram story if you've got Instagram that would mean a lot to me. Please leave a five star review. You're one of over fourteen thousand six hundred monthly listeners, which is pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff going on at the moment. I hope that you have found that lesson insightful. I kind of believe that one thing after writing that I sort of set myself a goal, I thought, well, it'd be cool to be able to get to 65 and be that person to then be able to donate my super back. So I thought, hmm, maybe that's a financial goal for me um, and I'd love to be able to pull that off. I've had people email back already, things like, I personally think it's complete madness that our super isn't means income tested. Someone like, I won't insert their name, who's worth millions of dollars getting the same weekly super payment as a couple, for example, who worked minimum wage jobs their entire life and are now retired. It's just absurd. Some people would agree with that. Some people wouldn't. I think this also comes from the side of me that realises that I, they say they're currently in their 30s, likely won't have access to a weekly uh, payment when I retire, as it won't exist anymore and we'll have to live off of our KiwiSaver contributions. Again, this is what I mean by like younger people. I think we're realising these things like, Huh. The older older crew, they're probably not going to vote for these changes, are they? So we're having to come to terms with, hmm, we're probably not actually going to get this stuff. I had somebody else um say to me 
Under 40, you must have KiwiSaver and your savings are tax deductible. If you withdraw from the KiwiSaver, you pay tax on the withdrawal. No savings, no super. And in a couple of generations or so, no super at all. In Aussie, it is compulsory to have retirement savings. Sounds simple, and I'm sure there are fish hooks, i.e. those on benefits, but this is another problem New Zealand has to face. This is a big problem staring us in the face. I highly encourage you to listen to the podcast that I do with Rupert from Quarter Wealth because you will learn a lot about KiwiSaver and superannuation as well. This is a big issue for this nation at some stage and no matter what your age is, you're going to be impacted by it. For me, like I said in this, it's me versus the mirror. I'm trying to tell that person in the mirror, bro, don't rely on super. Don't even don't even get in your head that at 65 you're going to have an income stream. I've I'm so I've so far deleted that because a I don't know if that will be a thing, and secondly, and it's 30 years away for me, and secondly, I would love to then be able to donate it back if not. So I'm challenging myself to not need it, to be like one of the people that can use the sharemysuper.org.nz and give it to a cause that I care about or send it back to the government and say, no, no, I want it to be spent on this. I want it to go to Hawke's Bay or I want it to go to this infrastructure project. I want it to go to devices in schools, etc. But we will see where we get to. In the meantime, I hope you have a brilliant weekend. I hope you are looking after yourself and I hope that you are taking your finances seriously. Keep money on your mind and start to see what things you can do to improve your financial future. Be good out there and we will see you next week.